Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Now, pretty cool show um, that we have for you today, and it was pretty cool for me to do the interview um, because I'm a big-time sports fan um, and have followed this guy's career very closely. So it was a real kick to um, interview him and, and hear the amazing things that he's doing in the space. Um, but before I tell you about that, today's episode is brought to you by Connection Based Living. Uh, so Connection Based Living is our outpatient treatment program that we run. And basically, we help people to transform their lives out of addictive patterns without having to go to rehab. So if that sounds of interest to you, you're struggling with addictive patterns or you have a loved one that's struggling with addictive patterns, um, check out our website, www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. Um, have a click around and get in touch. We do free recovery consultations um, and we'll start to develop a recovery plan for you or your loved one and, and, and see how we can help. Um, so that's www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. Reach out and have a chat. Um, yeah, so today's show was super cool for me. Um, we have Dane Beams on the show today. Um, so for anyone that is not a big time footy fan or sports fan like me, um, Dane Beams is a, a recently retired AFL player, um, but not just your average run-of-the-mill AFL player, even though he played against our arch-nemesis team, um, the Pies, and I go for the Tigers, but even though he played for the Pies, um, I loved watching his career just from a pure footy and sports fan standpoint. Um, so it was really cool to interview him, and he was an absolute gun um, in footy terms. So um, played in the 2010 Premiership for Collingwood, All-Australian, um, I think a couple times there, captain of the Brisbane Lions, um, I think he got like a AFL Rising Star nominee. You know, he's just got all the accolades um, in that AFL realm. realm. Um, so, yeah, not not just played at the highest level, but really went to the pinnacle um, of, of his sporting career. Um, and the thing that was so cool about um, this interview for me was listening to him talk about, you know, um, how he gets his thrills and the way that, you know, he views leadership and just everything that's changed for him in terms of how he thinks and feels, um, you know, as he's dealt with his mental health and um, some addiction issues as well over the last few years. So super cool interview. I'm really, really excited um, to put this one out there and to have people listen to it. And I'm excited for people like Dane to, to come into the space. You know, he's just an all-round, really down-to-earth, ripping bloke. Uh, I'd really recommend that you get in touch and support what he's doing now with Health of Mind Art. It's amazing to see all the stuff that he's doing on Instagram. We'll have all that in the description as well. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited for these kind of people to come into the space because, um, yeah, we're really crying out for it, for people to speak up with that profile um, that are really influential, you know, to, to the groups that look up to them, you know, including me. It's inspiring to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to just try and help Dane get his message out there and, and um, you know, tell his story because I know it's going to help a shitload of people. So, nevertheless, um, let's get into the interview. Enjoy. Any feedback would be great. Have a great day, guys. Peace. Enjoy. In three, two, one. Boom. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Real Drug Talk. Um, on this show, we talk about all things alcohol and drugs, um, addiction and addiction recovery. Um, and just before we jump into today's show, I'd just like to um, encourage everyone because uh, we're getting some really good feedback on the podcast. Um, if you like what we're doing and you like the messages that we're putting out, if you could give us like a bit of a review wherever you listen to your podcast or on YouTube or whatever it is, um, because what it does is it helps us to push up the ranks um, and hack it a little bit, inevitably potentially, you know, reaching more people and, and, and being able to help more people that are looking for answers and solutions. Um, but nevertheless, I'm going to shut up and we're going to get into today's show because, um, yeah, we, we've, like all shows are exciting, but I'm, I'm excited about this show because uh, I guess this topic and, and this person who I introduced in a second, um, yeah, just like it's something that's so needed in the alcohol and drug space and in the mental health space to kind of change stigma is 
people with some kind of a profile um, being brave enough to come out and, and um, you know, tell their story. So I know for me, when I've done media, <laughs> um, it's been, it's been hard enough and, and, you know, I've had some anxiety and stuff in the past. So I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing it, you know, having some kind of a past profile and, and all that sort of stuff, but super excited to hear the story. So on today's show, we got um, Dame Beams, former, AFL football player um, and more importantly like really passionate advocate of of mental health how you going mate good thanks for having me no worries no worries so just off the top I'm interested to know like do do you get any um you know I know I, I know it's your life and and you're probably in some respects used to having like a bit of a profile after all these years but do, do you sort of get any anxiety around doing stuff like this or is it has it been tough to share your story um look initially at the start yeah it was because it wasn't like it wasn't normal for me and I guess you know that's that's where we want to sort of get to a society where this stuff is just normal people don't have those sorts of feelings around talking about this so I guess you know I, I was more um you know I, I, I was when I first started really sort of battling some things, I was actually the leader of our club. So I was, you know, wow. the, one, the one that was, um, you know, meant to be, you know, sort of leading the group in a sort of strong, strong manner, I guess. And, um, you know, very much so in football clubs, that's sort of the perception is, you know, your leader is your leader and your warrior and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, when I was going, you know, through that sort of stage, very much internally, I was battling a lot and, um, you know, I actually used, I mean, I, there was there was a number of times when I was in Brisbane where I stood in front of the group and um, just put myself out there and was really vulnerable. And it's a really powerful thing um, for, you know, someone who was in my position, you know, the leader of the club. And to be able to do that sends a really strong message for our, for our younger group that we had at the stage. So um, to answer your question, I feel like it's it was at the start um, very unnatural yep. and, um, a, a thing that was sort of just not really spoken about, particularly at footy clubs. Yeah. Uh, and I think the more that I've sort of been able to speak about my own um, issues and uh, speak to other people, it's just gotten easier. So at the start, yeah, now I, I, I just talk about it. Like it's just, you know, it's part of my life. It's part of who I am. Um, yep. And I'm not, you know, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed about anything that I've done. Um, you know, that'll sound strange to a lot of people, but yeah, it's, it's part of me and um, I've embraced it. I've accepted it. Um, definitely learned from it, which is the most important thing. And yeah. it's all you can do. Um, I think some people run into, run into issues, you know, when they try and sweep some of their stuff, potential things that they're not proud of under the carpet and try 100%. and say like they never happened. Um, and that can actually cause a lot more issues um, yeah. in terms of around guilt and shame. And for me, I've just accepted that that was, um, a part of my life. It's not who I am, um, yeah. you know, but it did happen. And these things, you know, often that happen to everyone. So it's um, about learning from it and, you know, getting better um, learning from those experiences. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, like, I love what you said. Did you find, you know, when, when you, you just said there before you were, you know, the leader of um, the Brisbane Lions at the time when you started having some of the issues um, come up um, and yeah, you said you kind of shared with the group and stuff. Like, have you found that it's actually changed your perception and perspective around what leadership is and, and what strength is and all that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I look at, um, you know, I look at some AFL captains now and you know, I've been lucky enough to play with a lot of them. Um, yep. And, you know, the, I think the outside perception of a captain is completely different to how I view a captain. Um, a yep. captain for me is someone who genuinely cares about people. Um, it's not someone who goes out and is your best player each week and you know, runs through the banner first, flips the coin, does all that sort of crap. That That's you know, they're, they're little perks that you get with the, 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 the title. Um, yep. There's a lot of responsibilities. And I think the better leaders that I've played under are the ones that have genuinely cared about the individual um, and yep. taken an invested interest in what is going on in that person's life. Because ultimately, that's how you're going to build relationships and that's how you're going to get your best out of your teammates, um, yep. in, in my opinion anyway. So, yeah, my view... Um, of what makes a great leader is, you know, probably 
different to what a lot of other people think it makes a great leader. But um, yeah. yeah, look, I, I, I even, you know, I hear things all the time about, um, you know, certain people that I've played under um, and how they're great leaders. And, you know, I've got completely different opinions about that based, <laughs> based on my views. Um, yeah. so it, it, it's really about how people um, sort of read those sorts of titles, but my, my, you know, like I said, my perception and my um, views on what makes a strong leader have definitely changed since um, having gone through some of my experiences and even just dealing with, um, you know, some of the younger guys when I was, when I was captain of Brisbane, um, you know, retention and, and that go home factor, like mm. guys being homesick. So a lot of nerves and anxiety around that. Um, that was a critical part of what I seen as, you know, obviously being a good leader. And that's something that I really implemented into my um, leadership style was like sort of making sure that I was really, um, you know, diligent with making sure that these guys were feeling comfortable. Um, yep. And, you know, because it's a daunting thing, like, a lot of the guys when I was in Brisbane, they get drafted from interstate and they come into a big different city. First time out at home, you know, yeah. it's quite it's quite intimidating and daunting for these guys. So it's important that you have seen you guys like myself, have them over for dinner, take them out for breakfast, take them out for lunch, because that's really the thing that's going to make them settle in a lot quicker and then ultimately play better footy. And that's what we want. We want people to play good footy and then win premierships. That's what football, that's the end goal. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. No, it's um, it's really interesting, and and like I said off the top, that's why I'm so um wrapped to to have guys like yourself, and um, you know, we've spoken to like Alan Christensen as well, like people, you know, because let's face it, you know, footy is like revered in um, you know, Australian culture, um, and I think you know to see um, yeah, some of these more challenging things to be spoken about more in a more normal fashion and, and for people to change their perceptions, it's going to take, yeah, brave people like yourself, like talking about this stuff and, and changing the way that people think about it. It's, um, it's super interesting. So I want to circle back to some of the footy stuff if we can, because obviously people are always interested in that. Um, and I selfishly am as well, but um, uh, I just want to like, because I've seen you come out and do some, amazing stuff around the mental health and and they're like they're linked of course um but it was amazing when i went to the rethink addiction event the other the other night about a well three weeks ago now a couple of weeks ago um to kind of hear you talking about that side of things like do you mind just sort of giving us the three minute snapshot of your you know your mental health drug and alcohol story um yeah so i mean for me my my career spanned over 12 years uh so I, I've, you know, spent a long time, like the average AFL career is four years. So yeah, I've, you know, been experienced and been around long enough um, to sort of see a lot of different things. And I guess the, for the first sort of probably seven, yeah, seven, eight years of my career, it was relatively smooth sailing in terms of, you know, I never really experienced too many, um, you know, hard times like where, you know, I actually thought to myself like yeah, something's not right like, I never yeah. had any of those moments throughout my first as I said seven or eight years of my career um, and it wasn't really until you know my dad passed away in 2018 where that's yeah. when things really started to go shit for me um, mm. and it was based around you know not having any sort of coping skills or um, any sort of strategies not having spoken to anyone through that challenging time and um, you know, I resorted to some really destructive um, patterns. So I, yep. I've always, as a 15-year-old, I started gambling. Um, yeah. I gambled pretty much through my whole career. Um, yeah, I, I was someone that didn't really have too many hobbies outside of football. So that was always sort of like my release. And mm. um, I never actually thought too much about, you know, the fact that this could be a potential problem for me until I started using it more and more as an escape mechanism and trying to really distract myself from what was going on in my life, which is a lot of grief around, um, you know, the most important person um, outside of, you know, my kids and my wife in my life had just passed yeah. away. You know, he was my best friend and we did a lot of stuff together and that was such a big, you know, while he, while he, whilst he was sick, it was you know, very much hands on deck trying to make sure that his life was quality, mm. uh, 
as, as much as we could anyway. And he lived with me for the last few months of his life. And so you're very much just on your toes, getting through, um, looking after him. You know, at the time I had a wife that was um, heavily pregnant and we already had a one and a half year old. So it was, wow. yeah, it was, it was quite a stressful sort of, um, you know, situation, but you just do what you need to do. And it wasn't until he was gone where it really sort of hit me. And that's, as I said, I started using some things like gambling, um, majority of the time was at the start was sort of gambling, just, you know, completely just taking my mind off it. I removed all emotion out of winning and losing. Um, yeah. I had no emotion attached to it. So, you know, I could win $20,000 in one day and I couldn't give a shit. I could, <laughs> yeah. I could lose the same amount of money and I'd still feel the same. Like it was just, it was not about that. It was more about trying to give my brain something else to focus on rather than the pain I was feeling inside. Um, yeah. And I guess that something like that has to come to an end um, because, you know, people start to find out and, you know, you can't tra- cover your tracks for that long. So eventually, um, yeah, some people found out, my wife in particular, um, you know, stopped getting money. So, like, you know, there was I was cut off to it. So it was like, and for me, I was sick of it. So I, I decided, yeah. and I haven't gambled since, you know, but I haven't gambled now for two years. So it's um, Amazing. been a long time since I've gambled. But once that stopped, um, I just replaced it with the drugs. So the drugs was like a relatively short addiction, um, but did so much more damage to me, um, you know, mentally, physically than the, than the gambling did. Like it was so, it was such a bigger challenge to get off that than it was um, the gambling because obviously Interesting. yeah, just the, I felt like, you know, the physical attachment um, to the drugs, you know, where obviously, you know, changes the physiology of your brain and like you just, um, you know, you've actually become physically dependent on that um, to actually get up and function day to day. And what I was doing, you know, I was a professional athlete. So, God, it was like, it was a big, it was like a full-time job in itself, trying to get on, stay on top of, you know, my supply, getting, you know, enough of these drugs so I could get through the weeks and, yeah, you know, just a massive draining process. And, um, yeah, I guess that all came came to an end when, um, you know, I had a, had an, not an attempt on my life, but I drove my car into a pole and it was really around, um, it was more around sort of, I'd had enough of what I was doing, the patterns. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to die that day, but I just had had enough of everything that was going on in my life. And I just sort of wanted something to give, like something to change. And I didn't, you know, you, you never think that you're ever going to do that at any stage in your life. You just, yeah. that you, you, you know, I used to hear about people committing suicide and, um, you know, harming themselves and, you always think to yourself, like, that's never going to be me. Like, yeah, no way. But, you know, when I was driving around that day um, in a Melbourne suburb that I've never been to in my life and there's no reason for me to be there, it just goes to show that this can get anyone at any stage. So, yeah. um, as I said, from that moment on, I haven't taken a drug. So that, that was the last time I took drugs. And um, that was nearly a good year and a half ago now. So that was a brief yeah. sort of snapshot. Um, but obviously lots of things in between there. But just to yeah. try and do an overview. No, a hundred percent. And then like, so would you say, cause I think this is the thing that people don't understand, you know, about addiction or drug use or whatever you want to call it um, is that it's not really about just like what you said, it's not really about the drugs. It's kind of about everything else that's going on under the surface. And the drugs is just the manifestation to yeah. kind of take you out of whatever's going on with that. Would you kind of agree with that is, you know, yeah. I couldn't agree anymore. Um, you know, look, I, I, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not sitting here saying before I was, you know, a recovering drug addict that I never had judgments of people that were addicts. Like, of course, mm. I, um, you know, I used to think, you know, you drive, you know, down streets of, you know, some of the streets in Melbourne and you'd see junkies and you'd, you'd use that sort of language. And it's like now you know, I want to get out of my car and help these people because there's other things, there's other things going on in their life. Like, and this is the thing that I don't feel like anyone wakes up in the morning, rolls out of bed and goes, I want to be addicted today. Like it just, <laughs> who in their right mind would want that in their life? Um, yeah. There's generally other things that are going on in that person's life. And in my case, like, yeah, a lot of just uncovered stuff that, you know, with the right help, you know, was unpacked and came out that, you know, I, I just had 
had to deal with and I didn't want to deal with it at the time. And that's, that was my way of trying to avoid it was yeah. the gambling and drug use. And before you know it, you get yourself in a big hole that you can't get out of. And that's, you know, you know, I don't know every single person's case around, you know, how they got into addiction, but I'd bloody be sure that there's something else going on in their life that's causing them to make these decisions. And it's really about trying to unpack that and trying to find out what mm. it is rather than judging them and saying that they'll never, you know, they'll never not be able to live without drugs or anything like, I think that's the worst thing people can do is say that, that this person can't be fixed. I, I, yeah. I think everyone has, has it in them to be able to sort of turn their life around. It's just being able to see it. Um, and sometimes that's the hardest thing when you are caught in addictions, the being able to, um, to see that light at the end of the tunnel, because it's, you know, you do think you're doomed. You do think you've got this, disease forever um and it's definitely not the case um it's very hard going early days but it definitely can be done and you can definitely get out and live a you know long and happy healthy life yeah 100 percent. no it's 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 awesome to hear now um can i ask like what kind of drugs was it that you were that you were using like uppers uh, downers no nah, i was definitely the downers so i yeah. um prescription drugs so um you know any sort of painkiller um yeah, any benzo. So the, the, lots of just, you know, sleeping tablets, muscle relaxers, anything that was sort of going to make me relax and chill out mm. um, and think about life. That was yeah. what I was taking. Um, I didn't want to take anything there. I went out and partied and went on three-day benders where I didn't sleep. Like that wasn't, that just wasn't, I guess, what I was After. Know, wanting to feel. Yeah. Um, mm. So, yeah, I was definitely on the um, prescription drug side. And that, that, that presents like big challenges because hundred percent it's just hard to get like, you know, um, you know, especially the drugs that I was taking, you know, they're monitored and it's, it's, you know, gets to the point where it's your dependence and your tolerance levels are so high that you're, you're literally needing a pack of the stuff every day mm. to survive. So it's, um, it's not sustainable. And that's where I can definitely see how people end up turning to the street drug heroin and, fentanyl yep. these sorts of drugs because easily accessible um cheaper and you don't need as much so it's that's generally where like i've i've done lots of research since you know having gone through what i've gone through and um you know 90 percent of the people that have been on heroin are, you know started in the cabinet and it's so true yeah. I, I, I actually my wife my wife asked me this the other night she actually said did you ever ever think about taking heroin yeah. Um, I never did. I can honestly say I never did. Um, I'm, I'm thankful that I never got to that point because um, I feel like it would be a much harder road back. But yeah, not to, say that, not to say that I wouldn't have been able to do it, but I just feel like it would have been a harder road back. So I'm just grateful that, um, you know, for me, I had some good people around me and I knew within myself what was going on. And I knew that mm. wasn't me. Um, I knew that wasn't you know, the person that I wanted to be. So that would, that, that feeling in itself was eating away at me a lot. So that guilty shit feeling like every time I went to bed was just really sort of getting to me. And that's where sort of obviously things came to a, came to a really bad point when I, when I decided to crash my car is because that, that feeling, that overwhelming feeling of fuck, like I just don't want to do this anymore, just really got the better of me. And um, yeah. I needed something to give, I needed something to change and, for whatever reason, I thought that was the best way to get something to change. Um, I don't know why, but I just thought that was the right thing to do at the right time. And no one will ever be able to explain that other than me. Um, yep. So it was just something that I needed to, needed felt like I needed to do to get the right help that I needed. And thankfully, um, I've got a really good treatment plan. And, um, you know, I've, like I said, I've had some good people around me and, you know, life's been really good, you know, for the last six months, really. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting what you say about like the car crash. Um, that's actually not, you know, whether it's a car crash or something else, you know, someone like a lot of people say, you know, purposefully kind of getting arrested or, you know, having a blow up with like their, their missus or whatever it is, you know, like it's, um it, it's actually a pretty like common thing, you know, because that's, that's sort of what happens in addiction is you get, you get stuck and you just like, 
you kind of don't know <laughs> or it's hard to like express what's going on even if you have good people around you and and yeah yeah, yeah it's a pretty common I way that- i think it's that fear of judgment you know like that was definitely the thing for me that was really making it challenging to go get up and go to training every day was that fear of you know people judging me for what i was doing um and I, I genuinely feel like the, the culture um, created like, and, and the cultures that are around football clubs now, I feel like that probably would have happened as well. Yeah. Um, so there's not, there's not a great understanding um, around, you know, potentially why some of these things happen to the players. It's the, the, the thinking at the moment is more around, okay, that player is no longer useful for us to win a premiership. <laughs> Like what good is he? So I think that needs to that needs to change um, within football because I, I guarantee I won't be the last person um, to go through a gambling problem in particular or mm. a drug problem. So it's going to be um, you know really interesting for me to see how you know over the next 10, 20 years the AFL comes in this area because you know you you, you see it all the time. Like I can barely watch football these days with the amount of gambling advertisements and shit like it's, it's insane isn't it oh it's it's absolutely it's ridiculous um it's just an obviously a big revenue stream for the afl and oh, even you know speaking you know more broadly like for the for the government like it's um, <laughs> yeah. you know, stamp duty and stamp duty and bloody gambling the two biggest revenues for the government so why would they ever want to get rid of them yeah 100 percent. oh look it's it's no secret but Every time I've been to Parliament House, I've seen the al- the alcohol industry and the gambling industry front and center. They're always there. Um, so so that, so so that's interesting because I actually spoke to um, uh, and the episode will come out soon as well. Um, Gavin Krusiska, who I'm sure you know, like played for the same club, and you've probably yeah. seen his story and stuff like that. Um, and he actually. He, he was someone kind of special to me and that's why I'm excited for you to kind of talk about all the stuff that you're going through in all the different channels that you are because yeah when I was kind of getting off drugs he was about five months ahead of me and just like you know I talked to him and stuff and and sort of knew him from recovery circles but didn't know him super well but just having that role model was like massive for me yeah. but he said the same thing when we had him on the other day um, was that gambling in particular it's just such a massive a massive issue that, you know, seems to be poking its head up in the AFL, not just for the community, like with the ads that are displayed, but, you know, for the players for various reasons and stuff. Like, has that kind of been your experience as well? Like there's, there's just so much pressure, so much of a bubble. There's just people are just looking for a release. Yeah. Well, I don't think, um, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think clubs have enough control over players and what they do in their spare time. And, and look, probably rightly so, but I think there needs to be an element of, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of education around gambling, um, mm. a lot of education around what guys can be doing in their spare time in terms of study, um, any courses. Uh, what the, the one thing that is really, and that is provided to players um, through the AFLPA and the AFL is, a lot of education grants and a lot of um, there's a lot of good things that yeah. are actually provided to players and funded. Um, but I feel like the demands of football don't really allow for that to happen because what happened, guys get one day off a week. Um, they don't necessarily want to be going and putting in their head in the books for eight hours um, because <laughs> it's, you know, mentally draining. So I think there needs to be a balance between guys training loads um, and then also making sure that they're actually doing something in their spare time because mm. in season, you know, having, you know, speaking from experience in season, you get a lot of spare time. Um, you know, you get a lot of sort of three quarter half day training days, like yeah. a lot of time. Um, and generally like your half days are in the morning. So by 12 o'clock, one o'clock when the races and stuff are starting. Mm. Um, so you're going into, you know, dangerous periods of the day for, for people that have got, you know, the, the, the two things that a gambling addict probably doesn't want is time and, and money. And yeah. <laughs> you know, footballers got both of them. So they've got a lot of spare time and they've got a lot of money. So it's, it's, I think it's just about making sure that guys are actually, and making it compulsory that guys are doing something 
in their spare time mm. uh, to make sure that they've got something, one, when they trans out, transition out of football and two, to keep them healthy whilst they're playing football mentally. So, because that's the other big issue with football. Um, you know, yeah, I was just going to ask that, yeah. Whilst you're playing football, you've, you know, you've got all these challenges like what we're speaking about now. And then when you've finished football, you've got even bigger challenges about transitioning out into the real world and mm. having something behind you so you can continue working and continue providing for your families because yeah football's good and um you know you get paid well but you know not too many players can finish football and actually just retire you know they've still got to be able to sort of make it having have an income of sorts and really that's where a lot of players get into trouble because they don't do anything whilst they're playing football and you know they might have pissed up a lot of money against the wall with gambling drugs partying whatever it is and then they finish and they've got not much left and yeah. they don't have a job either. So it's all, all of a sudden it becomes a big mental challenge as well. So there's a lot of work to be done in that space. And I think the thing that, you know, I guess Gavin does well is, you know, Gavin, Gavin's experienced this and I think that's where, yeah. you know, Collingwood have done some good things with him because he's actually got a lot of experience in that area. Like a lot of clubs will get psychs and people that have done uni degrees and <laughs> this sort of stuff, but they've got no experience with it. Um, yeah. Sometimes, you know, and, and particularly for me, I got more out of talking to people that had, have lived experience um, and had gone through similar things to me than I ever did out of any therapist. Um, and that's 100%. therapists weren't useful for me because they definitely were, but they were useful for other things other than actually talking about my addiction. Yeah, uh, They were good for unpacking sort of things that had gone on in my childhood and yeah. stuff like that I probably wouldn't have consciously thought of. But in terms of, you know, them being able to relate to me taking a packet of endone at once, they would have no idea. It's, um, <laughs> it's just something that they don't really get. And that's something you can pick up on as someone that is in, you know, when, when you're going to th- you can pick up on the fact that they don't really have much idea of what you're actually talking about. And you can almost feel that sense of judgment as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny that you say that I, um, so I, I sit on this, um, this this government thing and I, I i often joke with like the politicians and the bureaucrats like that a requirement of them sitting sitting around talking about it is that they should all <laughs> smoke some ice and, and ah. drop a few drop a few prescription pills so that they know why people do what they do <laughs> yeah. it's, it's um yeah it's and I, I really love that you say that because I, i'm exactly the same and um uh yeah something that i'm really passionate about and that so many people say is just the lived experience thing is the biggest factor. Um, you know, if it doesn't completely help, it definitely opens up the door for someone to trust and get some hope and belief that they can do it too. Yeah. It's comforting for people. People, people got a, like a real glimpse into someone who can get, who's in, into recovery and doing well. And that's like, that's, that, that's like a little, that's the little bit of hope that people need early on in recovery. That can be the biggest difference in you know someone going north to someone going south like it's um yeah it, it, it can be a very big powerful thing yeah i love it mate i love it so i actually have quite a few questions for you off the back of some of the stuff that you just said um so so the first one i want to ask because i sort of noticed this about me um and there's a couple of guys that I'm mates with that were kind of pretty into say like bodybuilding or like we're in the military military and like never really um, had any like addiction problems or anything like that. But when I talk to them, almost like that sort of like obsessive type, like nature and that, you know, compulsive stuff, they're like, Oh, I'm exactly like that. And I reckon if I hadn't channeled it into this, I might've channeled it into something for a lack of a better term, negative. Um, do you feel like that played a factor in in sort of like some drug use and different behaviors coming out? Just like, cause I imagine like, I'm trying to imagine like what the schedule looks like for like a, a professional athlete, um, particularly AFL, as you said, one day off. It sounds like it's just all in like intense. And then if you're not channeling it into something like that, it naturally kind of goes somewhere else. Is that sort of part of it, do you think for people? Um, yeah, well, I definitely think there can be uh, there can be stuff integrated into the, the schedules. And I said this really from the, the moment I started having mental health issues was there needs to be some time in the schedule um, 
for players to, to you know, it, it's almost like, you know, any spare time that you have is always encouraged to go and get out in the ground and do some more goal kicking or, you know, get in the gym and do some more strength training. Um, it's everything's physical. Like everything's yeah. like anything that, you know, any time that you get, it's like always about, you know, doing stuff that's going to physically enhance your performance. Yeah. I think there's a big opportunity for clubs to go, no, 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 like we're going to get our guys to invest in the mental side of things. So it can be a number of different things. You know, you could, like, you could get guys doing yoga, you could get guys doing meditation, mindfulness, you know, art therapy. There's, there's so many things that are out there that um, these high performance managers um, could be exposed to and could be getting, you know, great benefits out of. But I think it's just because it's not what they've learned at school and it's probably left a field that, and it's not in their wheelhouse in terms of their expertise that they don't look at it. Like, yeah. I just think there's such a big thing now and it's a re- there's a real shift between, uh, there's a real shift from like your old school coaches where more and more and more was like the way of doing where it's now like very, you know, coaches are very nurtured and um, yeah. it's all about building relationships and making sure that your players are mentally well. And it's, I think they just sort of go hand in hand where like the way the top, the way times are now with, as I just mentioned, coaches and players, I think it's just time to actually start bringing more of that stuff into the, the program where, guys can get sort of, um, you know, it's compulsory to to do a mindfulness session or it's, you know, compulsory to do a yoga session, just things where you're actually unwinding and mentally it's refreshing. Mm. Um, because if if, you, if you're 100% go, go, go all the time, you know, you get out of, you get out of the, um, you know, your training facility and you go home and you just got no energy for anything else. And it's, um, yeah. It's, it can be draining and that's where you can get onto the couch and you can easily get your phone out and you can put sky channel on and you can start betting. Yeah. Before you know it, you're blowing thousands of dollars and you're also creating a bad habit. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of, like I mentioned earlier, what guys are actually doing with their time because it's, um, it's, it's just, you know, the, the, the pay, the pay that players are getting paid now is only going, getting more and more and more um, yeah. for COVID anyway. But um, it, it, it's – and the time that players are getting, they're only getting more time off because, you know, it's it's always about, like, being efficient now and, like, doing stuff efficiently. So that's obviously going into more guys getting more time and, um, yeah. yeah. Just, and then, obviously, you marry that up with the amount of advertising that's always constantly in your face and – as a player, you get people wanting to blow wind up your ass and inviting <laughs> and wanting to give you all these free bets in your account. Like, God, I, I, I got it off that many parasites, you know, trying to get money out of me. And all they wanted was one thing, and that was my money. I haven't spoken to one of those people since that I stopped gambling. How and interesting. Like, yeah, it's like, fuck, you just shit people, to be honest. Like, yeah. I can't say it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, I, I could only, I could only imagine, I could only imagine. And and that's the other thing I wanted to ask you about, like in terms of mental health and stuff, um, like what part, cause that's look, I'll, I'll just be honest. I'm a lover of footy. Uh, like, you know, just as a fan, watch it all day, every day. Um, and then the thing that I find absolutely ridiculous is like all the shows that go along with it and like the media and stuff, like how much of a effect does that have on people's like mental health, you know? And did you find, I don't know, that there probably was like just whether it's about your performance, the, 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 the part where I find that kind of steps over the line is that when, yeah, these kind of podge podge footy journalists are starting to write about like people's personal life and stuff like that. Like, you, you know, like did, was there ever cases that that had an impact on your mental health or, or mates and stuff that you played the game with that, that really impacts them? Uh, I think early. Yeah. Like definitely, um, definitely early on, like particularly around performance, like when you're, you know, when you're sort of not that established and, you know, anything written about your performance, you sort of get defensive about, and it's like, yeah, you you can sort of um, hold it over journalists for that sort of stuff. And yeah. uh, yeah, I, I think I think there's I think there is like a, a bit in it when it comes to um particularly young guys reading up this sort of stuff. Um 
I think a combination of me getting older and then obviously having done a fair bit of a fair bit of work on myself and being really just comfortable with who I am and not giving a shit what anyone else thinks yeah. um, had a big part to play in the fact that I honestly couldn't give a shit what the media do these days. Like, yeah. In, in, as far as I'm concerned, um, they're only after one thing, and that's to sell papers. That's the, you know, their their grand final is breaking a news story. Like, pathetic <laughs> that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, like they they all fight over a one the one story. There's so many of them now, and they're all trying to break that one story that it. You know, there's that they come from different angles. They put that many different twists on it, um, and before you know it, you've got rumors started, and, and that's where like probably it affected me a fair bit. Like I, I was succumb to a lot of um, rumors that weren't true about me, and that was probably one of the harder things because you know you, you get people that you actually care about reading the stuff, and um, it, it it impacts them as well, not just me. So it's, yeah. And it's and it can be it, some of the stuff said can be quite hurtful and like none of I haven't seen one rumor that's ever been true. And <laughs> the thing with the media is there's no accountability for the media. Like they can yeah. they want and get away with it. And you know I've seen some journalists, and there still are. There's still journalists in footy that are just they're they're pretty average people um, to say the least. And yeah. You know, I've seen I've seen some of these journalists literally at nightclubs waiting at nightclubs for players to do something wrong. Um, and it's just like you're wanting to report all the bad things. Um, you know, there's 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 lots of guys out there doing really good things. Yeah. Um, you know, look for instance, you know, I was only in the paper a couple of days ago for having an argument with a well, not even it wasn't even an argument. It was something to do with my wife's thirtieth birthday, and I was right. <laughs> And um, yeah, this this lady that I had the venue booked with decided to cancel on me, and um, she was really rude about it. And I, I just you know let her know I expressed that I wasn't happy about her being rude to me um, because yeah. that caused me a lot of stress and anxiety around actually trying to find another venue at such short like short notice for my yeah. wife. It's like it's an important birthday, um, and I wanted to make it you know really nice for her and. Um, because I put her through a lot as well over the last few years. So like I wanted to do something nice for her and, you know, that sort of triggered me off. And um, then all of a sudden she's ringing up the radio. Oh my God. You know, time in the sun. And then I've got newspapers ringing me and it's like, are you serious? Like you actually want to report this? Like, God, start reporting stuff that actually matters. Like this is just garbage. Like, you know, start, start, you know, start reporting the fact that you know six out of eight people that kill themselves every day are males start start writing some stuff that actually matters in this in society like i just feel like a lot of the shit that's written these days is just literally for people to click on and for their own egos really because they wrote the article it's um yeah it's kind of it's just it's a sad sort of but and and insane i've met some good journalists like i've met some respectful journalists that literally don't write things um to hurt people where there's other journalists out there that literally just couldn't give a shit other than anyone like by themselves. So yeah, yeah, it's something that, you know, players have to deal with constantly. Um, And the common theme that's thrown out there is, well, it's part of your job and you get paid well enough, but I don't think anyone should have to put up with some of the shit that they read half the time without having a chance to defend themselves either. That's, that's the annoying thing. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I always often see it um, and just think it's madness. And then, particularly, yeah, when it gets into people's like personal lives, and and then if they, yeah, if if someone does have some some genuine issues going on, like the way that that can be reported on is just it's horrible. So, um, yeah, that it's 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 something that as a fan, I would actually you know like to see change because most people I talk to that are fans like. <laughs> They don't give a stuff. They just want to hear about the actual game um, yeah. and not people's personal lives. So uh, the, the sort of the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I actually think it's the most interesting thing about your story and, and the coolest thing, you know, we started off the top talking about, you know, changing the perception around, you know, leadership and what strength is and all that sort of stuff. So can you talk us through like, you know, what it's like 
to kind of dip into those low lows of mental health and then how you've kind of found your way out with the art and, and, you know, like finding these different passions in your life? Um, well, I guess it's like, you know, the old tale out of every negative, you can always find something positive. And I guess for me, um, my first, my first stay at re in rehab was in Sydney and that's where I first, was introduced to some, you know, just some left of field sort of alternative forms of therapy. And yeah, um, yoga, yoga was sort of one of them. And I actually really enjoyed doing yoga. Um, yeah. Sort of dropped off a bit now. But the other thing I really enjoyed doing was, um, you know, just art, like getting creative with my hands and yeah. um, just giving, throwing myself different stimulants to be able to like just give my brain a bit of a break and, focus on like just alternative things and it was so beneficial for me um i remember like the first the first thing i ever did was um it was like a form of japanese art and i cracked a ceramic bowl and um put it back together with like some gold glue and it's like nice it, it looks yeah it visually it looks pretty cool but it wasn't really like about that it was more about the process and yeah how, how i felt post that and i remember um you know and you might know this yourself, but when you're in rehab, everything's pretty structured, like dinners at certain times. Yeah. And it's sort of like that, probably like that, you know, that way to try and get some structure back into people's lives. Um, because when you're feeling like shit, that's sort of one thing that goes out of the window, any sort of structure or normality, just, it just becomes chaos. Your life's chaos. Um, and for me, I remember having, when I first spent some time in the art room, it was like 10 to six. And then we had dinner at seven and, that hour and 10 minutes just flew by and that was like such a like a breakthrough moment for me because usually like I um you know don't usually in that time I'll either be doing something destructive or um making myself just feel even shitter and shitter yeah and to actually do something that was constructive and like you know just refreshing like different um just made left me feel I'm like really good and me being me, obviously, like once I pick something up and enjoy doing it, I would go 110 miles at it and I just like attack it with everything I've got. So yeah, spent every single day in the art room from that point on. Um, <laughs> and it was more like the environment, like really relaxed environment, environment like full of colour, like music, um, you know, obviously you're doing stuff with your hands. And um, I think it's actually been proved, you probably know more about this than me, but I think it's actually been proven now that, you know, getting creative with your hands actually has an, you know, improves your mental health. So I can definitely vouch for that. Like it's definitely helped me enormously. And, and I guess from there, I just implemented it back into my life when I got out of rehab and I continued to do it. And um, I guess my profile sort of helped me a little bit get my business off the ground because yep. you know, people were, um, you know, people were buying some of the artwork that I was doing and, from there, like I literally, I'm pretty inquisitive. Like I like learning new things and um, I, I, I'm, you know, a big believer that you can never know too much. Like it's always about like learning different things, like, you know, bouncing ideas off different people, learning from other people's experiment uh, experiences, different trades. Like, so I, I started like getting more and more into um, working with epoxy. So epoxy resin, which yep. I've seen lots of on, online. Like I love it. It looks so cool. Yeah. yeah, so much you can do with it. It's just a really popular industry. And um, especially for like DIYs and people wanting to sort of have a have a genuine hobby. Um, so I deal with, you know, these sort of people every single day, like people just wanting to try something different. And often I get people in here all the time that have gone through similar things to me and they come in here literally because they feel like they can relate to me. And yeah, I get to meet new people and talk about, you know, my experiences, what worked for me, what helped me. And, um, you know, also run workshops now and like I get more, more and more people now coming to these, like, because they've sort of turned into like a two part, um, like a two part workshop. Like the first sort of hour is um, I'm quite open about how this, this form of, um, you know, therapy has actually helped me. Yeah. And then from there, you know, people start opening up, sharing their stories and it's like, you're just creating, like I'm creating an environment that's non-judgmental and people feel like they're a part of something and they can express themselves. And, you know, some of the stories that people have told have just been like mind blowing, like that people have come in and actually felt comfortable, you know, sharing some of the things that they've shared. And 
it wasn't ever by design. Like the workshops were really just to teach people about a new skill. Um, yeah. It just, it just turned into this like, it's almost like group therapy for like the first hour. It's um, yeah. Yeah, bloody cool. And like, for me, it's like, I, I, I really like sharing my story with other people because um, I feel like the more times I share it, the more times people think it's okay to share these things. And um, yeah. it just opens up people's eyes to, I guess, two things like that mental health's real and like, and it can affect anyone. And it actually also gets people to see the real side of me. Um, yeah. Not, not they just seen on TV or their perception about what they read, as we were talking about in the newspapers, the newspapers have a big say on what people actually think of you um, without yeah. actually knowing you. So for me, every time I get, I have the opportunity to talk to someone or have someone at a workshop, it's another opportunity for me to actually show what I'm really like as a person and like not, not just what they've seen on the screen or what they read. So yeah, the business has done like just wonders for my mental health. And um, it's also like a double-edged sword. I'm also able to teach people a new skill and then, you know, give them the products to go away and potentially sort of, you know, start like I've got lots of people now who've started up with small businesses selling things and it's, yeah, it's just a really cool, rewarding and something that I'm really passionate about as well. So it's, um, yeah, I'm finding it, yeah, really, really good. And I guess for me, I didn't have to worry about that transition out of football because this has sort of naturally just happened for me. And, um, yeah, like I said, it's such a growing and popular industry that I'm just enjoying. And um, I still enjoy doing stuff like this and um, going out to, you know, different sporting organisations and just sharing my story, my experiences and, yeah. trying to help any other people that I can because it's really like for me I get so much enjoyment out of um trying to just help someone in the smallest way that I can um it's you never you just never know that the impact that you can have on someone just by doing something so small and I think the position that I'm in I can never really take that for granted like whilst I'm still relevant in any way I'll always try and use my social media platforms or um, use my voice in a positive way because you know that's that's the stuff that's really impacting people a hundred percent mate the thing that i find like super cool about it is and you're probably aware of this yourself but just even like like you you're ex and and this is a compliment your external like look you kind of personify like an alpha male alpha male i guess like you know like fit not just a footy player, like absolute superstar, like at the pinnacle, um, tattooed <coughs> everywhere, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then for you to kind of come at it from that different angle where, you know, you're talking about mental health and you, you're showing people art. I think it's just that real like polarizing factor that, yeah, like you said, it just lets people know that, um, you know, like it's okay to be them and, and, and show the different sides of themselves. It's really cool, man. It's really yeah, cool. I I actually thought that to myself last night, to be honest. I was like looking in the mirror and I'm like, fuck, I've got a lot of tattoos. And like, <laughs> that probably look scary to a lot of people, but I'm like the complete opposite. Like, I, like I said before, like I have people in here all the time, like just randoms. And people often say to me, oh, you're completely different to what I thought you were going to be. And it's like, what do you think I was going to be? <laughs> like, people like often, you know, you make judgments every day, you make judgments about everything. Um, and I think that's, you know, a harmless one. Like people just sort of saying, oh, you know, I thought you were going to be different. Um, yeah. And I, I, that's why that's why I really enjoy talking to people and being able to show people like the real me because it's, you know, what people potentially think of me is usually completely different to when they walk out of like a workshop or when they come and, you know, have a chat in store. Like what it, whatever it is, like people have generally got a different opinion of me after that and i think that's like that the amount of shit that's been written about me in the last two years has probably had a big impact on what yeah. people actually perceive is me um, yeah yeah compared to what the actual reality is of me like yeah yeah and I, I feel like that's that's a disappointing thing because you know you can't obviously get to every single person and try and you know tell them about what sort of person you are and have a chat come like there will always be people out there that aren't going to like you but like I went back to it at the very start, I'm like really, I'm really comfortable with who I am. And like, I, I understand who I am now. And um, that's taken me like a long time. Like, like there's things that now I don't care about that I used to just stay up at night about. Like, yeah. So it's, it has taken a long time, but 
being comfortable with yourself is super important. And that's really like, I think that's really where a lot of internal happiness comes from is just being actually genuinely comfortable with who you are. Yeah. A hundred percent. Nah, it's, it's, um, it's super interesting. And, and the other thing about it is that I'm really excited about to, you know, see people like yourself coming into the space, drugs and alcohol, mental health, whatever it is like, you know, we're just, I always have this saying, you know, like, and a lot of people say it as well. Like if you've got problems, your hairdresser or your personal trainer probably helps you more than like your counselor, you know what I mean? Cause you're just in that comfortable environment. And I think, that's what we're starting to learn as a society with the things like you're doing is that it has much more impact when you got people doing an activity where they can drop in, be comfortable. And they're not just like sitting in a chair in a white room talking yeah. about, you know, stuff that they don't really want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's definitely true. Like, and I think the other advantage is like, you know, when I run the workshops, there's also nine, 10, there's also like nine, 10 other people, sitting around them that are experiencing the exactly same feelings or some similar feelings um, to what they are. And that's comforting for people as well, rather than, yeah, there, like I said at the start, there is, there is that element of still, you still feel um, like there could be a little bit of judgment, even sitting with a therapist based on the yeah. fact that do they really understand what's actually going on for you? Like it's a, it's a, it's interesting. Like I it's feel like it's one of those, yeah, like for me, like once I started figuring out what I wanted to get out of therapy was like when I actually started to make some steps forward rather than going there to yep. just to tick a box and think yep. they were going to help. Like I actually took control of it and was like, no, nah, I want them to help me with actually figuring out, like going back from the exact start. So going back to when I was a kid and like asking me questions about stuff that I may not even like that, I remember questions they would ask me and I didn't even remember, like, but as soon as they asked me, I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, yeah, I remember that. Like, or yeah. things would come up that you just wouldn't have even thought of unless they prompted you to talk about it. So 100%. I think that was like super beneficial, like being able to just figure out like what I wanted to get out of therapy rather than going in there and just talking. Like it became constructive and like actually useful. Yeah, yeah. Mate, 100%. Look, there's there's so much more that I would love to ask you about. Um, we'll have to do a part so two. We'll, we'll, have to do, we'll have to do part two. Um, so so health, of, uh, health of Mind Art is um, your business. Are you out in Bayswater? Is that where the yeah. where you're located yeah. in Melbourne, that is, for everyone listening? Yeah, so I'm in Bayswater here. But, yeah, I've got like, um, you know, I've already ventured into Tasmania and done a few different workshops there. And Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I want to... Um, get around and do different states and um, you know potentially open up a couple of stores like in different states and um, start running like some more you know just workshops that are you know mental health based like you know I, I don't sit here and say that I've got any profession at all like I don't I, I've never studied any of this sort of stuff or never studied psychology never done any of that but I think what I do have is a fair bit of um you know, life experience around addiction and mental health that can potentially help other people. And that's what I'm willing. I'm, I'm someone that's just willing to share everything. Like I don't have anything that I hide. Um, you know, it's the one rule that I live by now is I just don't tell any lies. So someone yeah. asks something within, within re reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I just answer it, answer it as truthfully as I can. And yeah, it's, um, I think it's refreshing for people as well just to hear different shit rather than the same old bullshit that generally athletes just <laughs> trot out all the time. So it's, um, yeah, it can be, um, yeah, something that I think people actually relate to. And that, like I said, like we've been talking about being able to relate to people is just such a huge thing. I think. Mate, a hundred percent. I got to say like for, for me, you know, even as like, Sounds sounds stupid to say, but even like you know, I've been kind of in in recovery, if you call it that, for quite a while now. But it's still like inspiring for me to see, and it's just it's super cool to just see these more um, prominent people in society kind of being open about it. 
you know, not because anyone's more special than anyone, but it's just the fact of the matter is that you, like you said, you do have a platform and when you can use it for good, it's um, I reckon it's going to be pretty special to see all the stuff that, you know, you're going to be able to do with it. It's, it's really, really cool. Um, so where can people find you? Um, if, if, you know, they want to get involved, they like what you're putting down, um, yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's all, um, I mean, there's options that, yeah, we got the website and I'm always very, um, you know, active on social media. So like I yep. respond to pretty much everyone that, you know, I may miss some people here and there because I do get a fair few people like um, wanting to sort of ask me questions, particularly on my, um, on my private account. Um, but yeah, yep. there's a business account, there's the website, www.healthofmindart.com and you can book workshops, you can do whatever you like. But um, yeah, I think, the biggest, I think the, the, the thing for me, like the thing that I get the most enjoyment out of is, um, you know, for instance, I, I had a guy and I get these sorts of things all the time and it's actually like, it's so rewarding, but I, I've got a customer who um, was similar, had a gambling problem and he's been off the punt now for a while and um, not as long as I have, but he's been off, he's been off it for a while and he, you know, similar things, you know, you, you, as addictions you know you burn some bridges and you lose family members and yeah people go off you and it's just amazing to see you know this guy now coming in here um you know he's actually got some savings he's got some money and <laughs> he's you know he's building more like he's building relationships with his you know he's actually doing so he's doing all this stuff with his son and it's like it's just really cool to hear that like that you know, he's being able to build his life back up pretty much the same way I have. And it's like, I've yeah. been up to sort of share and rub off some of that onto him. And um, like that, honestly, like it makes me feel so good. Like it's more rewarding than anything that I did on a footy field. Like I get more enjoyment out of like hearing stories like that than I ever did kicking a goal from 50 on the run and hearing the crowd roar because yeah, that's cool and that's good, but it's not, it's not real and it doesn't, it's, it's not, it's just sort of it's it's entertainment like whereas this is like yeah. this is like real life shit like this is going on for people every single day and it's like fuck like you just don't ha you just don't know the impact that you can have on people and like even you don't even have to you don't even have to have any profile at all um you know some, right. some of the people that helped me the most were people that i met in rehab with just never met before in my life and i still talk to these people now because it's like you almost feel um, you almost feel a little bit attached to these people because like yeah. it's almost like you've been through a journey with them and it's like you, you build like a bit of rapport and yeah you just build connection and like that's what like I'm all about now is like that connection and being able to connect with other people and it's just it's just such a cool feeling because for you know for a good part of three to four years like I was you know a self-absorbed um, you know liar just just a shit person like yeah and and it, and it sucks like because you know you're not that person and it's um you know you it's just got a massive grip on you so now when you feel like these genuine emotions of happiness and stuff i think they mean a lot more to you and you actually cherish it like it's um yeah it's sort of like a heart you probably know what i'm talking about it's just oh, 100 percent to explain like even like being around my kids now like my kids were young like really young when i was going through some um, of my heavy addiction stuff but now just being able to like actually go home and feel like I don't have to worry about going or sneaking off to the toilet and taking a few pills or trying to think about where I was going to get my next script like <laughs> I, I just get home and I've got all the time in the world from like I don't have any of that bullshit like it's just a good feeling to be clean like, and I think anyone anyone listening now that's struggling with that sort of stuff there, there's always hope and there's always someone that'll listen to you um and hopefully for as i said anyone that is listening that is struggling um you can get the right help because it's possible it's definitely possible mate brilliant oh it's just uh it's so cool to hear all those yeah they're really uh little nuggets of gold gold everywhere so for everyone listening um please take that message to heart you know, if, if you've just been flip-flopping, undecided, sitting on the fence, just uh, reach out and, um, yeah, message Dane. Um, hopefully he get a million messages <laughs> or message someone, message someone else. Um, but, yeah. Get yeah. Back to you. 
days, but I'll get back to you. <laughs> love it, mate. Love it. Um, so we'll make sure we put all your stuff in the show notes. But again, mate, thanks for coming on and I'll hold you to that. We'll get you on for part two soon. Thanks, dude. Yeah, that'd be cool. See you, mate. Peace, everybody. Hey, everyone. So that was another episode of Real Drug Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I have to, I must admit, I'm a mad footy fan. So I got a real kick out of that. Um, and I'm just really, um, when it comes down to it, I'm just really excited um, to kind of see Dane just be brave enough to come out there and share his story with the profile like we talked about in the interview because I know how many people um, it will reach and help. So please do everything you can to get behind him, support all the things that he's doing, all the messages and all the great work that he's doing through his business. All the details um, for Health of Mind Art and and where you can find Dane on Instagram and all that sort of stuff will be in the show notes. Um, as always, if you or a loved one needs help, www.connectionbasedliving.com.au. Um, if we can't help you directly, it's just good to reach out and have a chat and talk to someone. Um, sorry about some of the interruptions in the recording. I think my dog went off, a few emails went off there, but it's in the name Real Drug Talk. We just skip all the all the polish and we just kind of get right down into the raw conversations um hope everyone um has a really good sunday good week or whenever you're listening to this um and we'll uh see you or listen to you again when we're vibing in your ears again next time thanks everybody peace